Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing Chicken Soup's latest release, a couple of very entertaining books for pet lovers. Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Cat Really Did That, and Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Dog Really Did That. Good morning, Amy, and happy Tuesday. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm great. I'm so glad to be back on the show. I haven't been on for a couple of months because we didn't have any new books to talk about for a couple of months this summer. That is right. By the way, did you have a chance to see the total solar eclipse yesterday? So I'm in Connecticut, and we were not lucky enough to be part of the total eclipse. It it didn't include New England or even mm. um New York State, you know, down, it didn't include yeah. New York or New Jersey. And so we went out. I took the whole company out for frozen yogurt. We all went outside when it was the peak time for us, but we were only about 68 or 70 percent. Uh-huh, and so uh-huh. I actually wore my sunglasses the whole time, but we all looked at it with those special glasses. Yeah, and um, and it was cool, but we didn't get the we didn't get to experience what most of the country got to experience. How about you? I got a chance to see it in Dallas at like about 75%, like you said. That's the max. But the idea of being able to just see the whole experience and get caught in the movement, (laughs) that's the exciting part. It was a fun company event for us because we we took our entertainment subsidiary public last week. So this was like a celebration of our IPO and Mm -hmm. a celebration Mm -hmm. of our partial eclipse. Fantastic. That's wonderful. So let's come back to the book. This is fantastic. I really love the two books. I thought it was like very, very entertaining and it's very engaging and hilarious at the same time. This is again another winner from you guys. So I'm looking forward to seeing this being a really big hit. Well, I'm glad that you love them. We actually tend to do them every year and a half or so. And so the last Mm -hmm. pair of dog and cat books came out February of 2016, mm-hmm, and then we'll probably mm-hmm. do another pair of dog and cat books in 2019. And we've fallen into this great pattern where we create these books, and then we we saw you know we select a few books every year where mm-hmm. we're going to take the royalties from the books and donate them to a worthwhile nonprofit, and we donate the royalties from our dog and cat books to American Humane, which is this fabulous animal welfare organization that we work with in many different ways. They're the oldest animal welfare organization in the United States. They're something like 140 years old. So we're really excited because the books are entertaining, Mm -hmm. but they also support this great cause. And in addition, the stories have an underlying agenda, which is to educate readers about the merits of adopting cats and dogs from shelters or from rescue organizations, or in the case of cats, you know, bringing in that cat that shows up on your doorstep. But we're really trying to get people to think first about Mm -hmm. adopting 
homeless dogs and cats versus going and buying them somewhere. Except in the case of dogs, of course, reputable breeders are great. And a reputable breeder is a breeder that, you know, has a yeah. couple or one dog and the dog like has the puppies in the kitchen and is part of the family and the puppies are socialized. That's a reputable breeder. So we're all in favor of that as well. Wonderful. Dr. Robin Gansett wrote wonderful forwards for the book. Can you please share that with us? Yeah, she always does a great job. She's a wonderful writer and um, she's so busy running American Humane, but she always steps in and works on our books with us also. And what she points out in the forewords to both books is that these our dogs and cats can be silly, they can be remarkably intuitive, they can act like therapists, or they can be naughty, but we love them anyway. And sometimes they're heroes and they actually save our lives. And so they are really just as varied in their personalities and their character traits as any other member of our families, and they're basically one of a kind. And when Mm -hmm. people bring a dog or cat into their families, that is a a legitimate family member. And she does point out that you are taking on a lot of responsibility. And she always points this out in the forewords to our books because she's seen what happens when people bring a puppy or a kitten home and then they're not really committed to the long-term care required. And so she always points out you know, you're making a 10- to 20-year commitment, depending on whether mm-hmm. it's a dog or a cat and the and the breed. And you have to remember also that dogs and cats are like children. They're never going to grow up past a certain stage. They will always be dependent on you, you know, and you will always be responsible for their safety and their well-being and taking them to the vet and getting their shots and all the rest of it. And so... She Her forward is an interesting mix of pointing out the tremendous benefits, particularly the benefits of adopting a homeless dog or cat, but also the responsibility that you're undertaking, because we don't want anybody out there adopting a dog or cat on a whim who hasn't really thought through the long-term commitment. I believe when I was growing up, I think my mom loved our dog, Pilly, more than she does me, <laughs> because the dog doesn't give her any trouble. I think it's because she was trying to shape you into a responsible adult, and she knew the dog was never going to progress beyond, you know, the mentality of a toddler. (laughs) It's easier to manage the dog than to manage Johnny. How's that? (laughs) I think you came out okay. (laughs) Right, right. So true. So true. We talk about how rewarding it is to adopt shelter dogs and cats. However, one of the concerns that people normally has is that these animals are a little bit more high maintenance, say, versus like you were talking about buying a dog or a cat from a breather, so to speak. I don't know if that's really true. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. In my family, uh, my daughter and her husband each adopted a dog from a shelter. Mm -hmm. And those dogs were, they were pretty young. They were each probably around two years old when adopted. So um, they were both incredibly well-behaved from day one. Like I remember when my daughter brought her pug home from the shelter, and this little pug had apparently had a litter already because it was found, she was found wandering the streets Mm. in a bad neighborhood, and it looked like she had just had puppies based on, you know, what was going on with her body. 
And she came into my daughter's home and was was house trained already, knew how to heal, was obedient. Uh, if there's food and you say to her, leave it, she'll leave it. I mean, wow. She, yeah, she was remarkably yeah, obedient yeah. and well-behaved from day one. And then my son-in-law, he adopted an Australian cattle dog, and that dog had been mistreated in a different way. That dog was also just found wandering the streets, but that dog, which is supposed to weigh 40 to 45 pounds, was 80 pounds. The dog looked like a pig. In fact, I called him Wilbur initially. Uh, (laughs) And he could barely move. He was very young, but Mm -hmm. he was huffing and puffing when he tried to walk at all. I mean, he was the little pug with her tiny little legs was, yeah. you know, way outpacing this overfed Australian mm. cattle dog. And Australian cattle dogs are actually very active, sporty kind of dogs. Right. And so, but that dog, which had been abused by being overfed, which is definitely a form of abuse, over the next year, um, that dog got plenty of exercise, ate the proper amount of food, and lost 40 pounds and is now a very fit dog living in New Hampshire, climbing mountains, mm-hmm. hiking every day, and now just has a lot of loose skin hanging down left over from the Wilbur days. Oh, wow. But that dog yeah. also came into their home incredibly well-behaved. So most of the people I've talked to have said that the mm-hmm. only real thing they see with their shelter animals is a, a fear of abandonment, fear of separation because they were abandoned, And they get over that once they learn that they really do have a new home. And the other thing people say about shelter dogs, and I don't know if they say this about shelter cats or not because I'm more involved with dogs, but they say that the dogs really seem to be grateful. It's like they know. They know that they were Mm -hmm. chosen and they were brought home from that scary place, the shelter, and they're grateful. And it seems to color their attitude towards their new home. So it's very sweet looks like they are able to read much better and not take life, I guess, in a way, from a human perspective in some ways, for granted. So what you find, I'll tell you the kind of dog Mm -hmm. that ends up being a problem is when you buy a puppy at one of those pet stores and the puppy Mm -hmm. was born in a puppy mill and never socialized with humans, tend to have trouble socializing with humans, it's, mm-hmm. they're much harder to house train, and they tend to have medical problems early in life. And when I've talked to people who said, I know I shouldn't have bought from a pet store, but I saw this dog and my kid fell in love with it, so I bought the yeah. dog, they all report on all the problems that they had with these puppy mill puppies. So it's really a better idea to avoid those. And not to continue to condone the yeah. puppy mills by or you know and 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 promote them by buying from them it's better just to go to a reputable reputable breeder or go to your local shelter and mm-hmm. find one of these homeless dogs and you'll be so rewarded very very interesting well coming back to the book what was the favorite part about putting the book together well it's the stories 
I mean, mm-hmm. how much fun did I have, if you think about it? I got to read. I mean, we probably had 5,000 stories submitted for each book because that's mm-hmm. what happens these days. People really want to be published in our books. We have more and more visibility with the public, and so we get more and more submissions for our books. And then I have a whole team of editors who read all the stories, and then I'm presented with several hundred finalists for each book. So I got to read hundreds of fabulous stories about dogs and hundreds of fabulous stories about cats. And I just sit in a rocking chair or, or you know, a comfy <laughs> chair, and I spend days reading these stories. And it's my favorite part about working on our books, but I have to say it's also the most challenging part because I have to narrow down several hundred finalists to only the 101 that are going to end up in the books. So I feel like one of those college admissions officers turning away, you know, <laughs> equally qualified candidates. So true, though, but I'm sure it's enjoyable. And as I mentioned to you before we got on the air, it's getting to be very difficult to like one story over more than the other one because they're all so wonderfully written. Yeah, the, the stories are great. I mean, I do edit them. Some of them come in beautifully written. Some of them come in with a great plot. And then I work on the story arc. I reshape the stories. We we do end up doing a lot of editing to some of the stories. Some stories take only a few minutes to edit. Some stories, one of our editors might spend an hour, and then I might spend another hour editing. Uh, because we're not looking necessarily for the best written stories in the world. We're looking for the stories that have the most plot that reach into our hearts the most. And so we always say to people, even if you're not a fabulous writer, go ahead and submit your story because we'll fix it. If it's a great plot and it's really meaningful and we know that our readers will enjoy it, we'll help you make it as well written as possible. Johnny, are you there? I am not hearing you. I'm going to keep talking just in case we're still on the air. And so I wanted to talk about the fact that one of the benefits that readers get from these books is the the fact that they can see all the different phases that they're going to go through with cats and dogs. So if they're new owners of cats and dogs, maybe they have a puppy or a kitten, they get a view into what the rest of the animal's life will be like and what it will be like to be an owner. They're also very, very comforting to people who have lost a cat or dog because they help you understand the cycle of life and develop acceptance and closure. And I think that's very helpful as well. Um, Johnny, are you there now? All right. Well, I'm going to just keep on talking because I'm going to assume that we're still on the air. So what I'm going to do is turn to some of the stories that you identified as being your favorite stories in the cat book. And I'm going to start with actually story number one in the cat book, which is a story about a cat named Icky. And the story is by David Hull. And the story is that David was battling snails in his garden, and he could not figure out how to get rid of them. And at the local garden store, he um, found out that one way to get rid of snails was to put out little bowls of beer, 
and he put out bowls of beer, but then his cat drank from the bowls of beer that were intended for the snails, and the cat got drunk. So it was just a funny story, and he learned to never do that again. And then another story that you had identified as being one of your favorites is in our book called Learning to Love the Cat. And this is about um, another story that is very um, cool. is called Gizmo and Boots. And in this story, um, Karen Reeves talks about the fact that she already had a dog and she was living um, on a farm and she found kittens in a horse stall. And so she took the kittens away because she was worried about them being with the horse. And the mother cat abandoned the kittens. And so Karen took two of the kittens and tried to save their lives. And one of them didn't make it, but the other one did. And then her dog Boots adopted this little kitten. And so for the rest of Boots' life, He took care of that kitten, and then it turned into a cat, and they were best friends forever. And we have a lot of stories in the book about these cross-animal friendships where cats get pets or cats become the pets for other animals because, I mean, we're animals, humans, and we love to have pets, so why shouldn't other animals love to have pets as well? Another story that I thought was terrific, and I know you identified this, as a terrific one also, is a story called Cats with Benefits. And in this story, um, a widower has to find homes for two cats after his wife dies. And he has a little secret. And so he places one cat easily because it's a very nice cat. But then the other cat is horrible. Nobody wants this other grumpy cat. But he finally finds an old girlfriend of his who I think actually wanted to be his new girlfriend as well. And she agrees to take the little cat. And I really think it was because she wanted to be with him again. But the real surprise that he hadn't told anybody was that by adopting these cats, they were going to receive a $5,000 check to cover cat care for the rest of the cat's lives. That had been left in his wife's Will. So I thought that was really cute. Um, and then another story that I know that you loved is called um, Old Cat, New Calling. And so this was really cool because this was an unwanted cat also, a little cat named Petey. And he was brought to a veterinary clinic. And this is really sad. His human family was actually going to give him up to be euthanized. And I hate even saying euthanized because that makes it sound nicer than it really is. He was going to be killed because a new family member had been born in his family, a little baby girl. And the family didn't want him there anymore. And he didn't like the baby girl. He had actually gone on a hunger strike and he had lost five pounds from what was originally 12 pounds. So he was really sickly. And so the clinic was supposed to euthanize him, but they decided to adopt him. And they made him the clinic's goodwill ambassador. And so Petey ended up living the rest of his life 
in this clinic as a goodwill ambassador. And I thought that was really sweet. And we do get stories all the time from people who work in veterinary hospitals or clinics who talk about adopting some of these special cases. Are you back, Johnny? Yes, I am. Thank you so All much. All right. Well, I've just been proceeding, but I think our listeners know you've been missing in action, and so I've just been talking away. So let me tell you where we are now. Okay. <laughs> We've talked about four, four of our cat stories already. The next one that you had identified as being one of your favorites, and that is about Wonderful. Gingham, the heroic cat. Mm-hmm. And so this is a cool story because uh, Gingham was – Another basically unwanted cat. Uh, Gingham was given to a third grade teacher as a gift, and it was only because she had mentioned to her students that she had a mouse problem. And so all of a sudden she was given two six-week-old kittens, and she didn't want kittens. She She hadn't asked for that. She already had a dog, but she took the kittens because she didn't want to turn down the gift and disappoint her students. And then one of the kittens just could not get along with the dog that she already had. Uh, So that one was adopted by one of her friends. But she kept the other little kitten, which did get along with her dog. And they got along great for years. And then the most amazing thing happened one night. Uh, She was woken up at 2 in the morning by her cat, just throwing himself against the door of her bedroom. And she had actually shut him out of the bedroom, and she was in there sleeping, and the dog was sleeping on the floor by the bed. And the cat would just keep her up, so that's why he had been left out. So she opened the door, and he started racing around her bedroom frantically. And she had such a headache, and she felt so groggy that she just wanted to go back to bed. But then she heard this hissing sound, and the cat was going crazy, And so she decided to go out and see what was going on, and she realized there was a gas leak. That hissing sound was gas coming out of her stove. So she grabbed the phone, and she called the guy in her town, who she knew was the volunteer fire chief, and he said, just get out of there now, immediately run. And so she dragged the dog out. The dog was totally groggy also from breathing in the gas. And she and the dog and the cat, got out, and they got out just in time because the propane ignited on her stove. Luckily, the volunteer fire chief showed up at just that moment, and he was able to put the fire out while it was still only in her kitchen. But that little cat, which was an unwanted gift from her students, had actually saved the lives of this woman, Sharon, and her dog. So he was quite a hero. It's a beautiful story. I'm a dog lover. I mean, I like cats too, don't get me wrong, but usually we tend to think about dogs being a little bit more alert about stuff like that. But actually cats are equally as sensitive. And because of the fact that cats kind of have their own lifestyle, so to speak, because a dog, people may think that cats can be very engaging from that perspective, don't you think? We get stories all the time about cats doing heroic things, alerting people to gas leaks, alerting people that a tornado is coming, alerting somebody that her little sister was outside playing in the road and was going to get hit by a car, alerting somebody that her husband was having a stroke, whatever it is. Cats are very intuitive, and they know when something's wrong, and they take it upon themselves 
to go and alert their human, they're not going to be able to drag a child out of a burning building the way that a dog can. But in their own way, the cats will alert people and do everything that they can given their limited size. So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast uh, available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We are discussing Chicken Soup's latest release, a couple of very interesting and entertaining books for pet lovers, Chicken Soup for the Soul, That Cat Really Did That, and Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Dog Really Did That. Let's continue now with Chapter 7. This is one of the best chapters I think I like personally in terms of our four-legged friends, the cat in this case, the four-legged therapist. And, of course, the story is The Pair by Kathleen Gimmel. Yeah, I love this story. I actually told this story on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast because I thought it was such a great example of how cats really do act as therapists. And so in this story, a mother comes to a shelter where Kathleen Gemmel works as a volunteer, and the mother has her little daughter with her who's on the autism spectrum. And the mother says that her little daughter hardly ever speaks at all, but she did indicate that she wanted a pet. So Kathleen, who knows all the, all the cats there, and there's over 30 of them, starts taking them around and showing them each cat. And so they come to one cat named Thomas, and the little girl is fascinated by this one cat, but this cat is so withdrawn and aloof. He's actually... Um, pushed to the back of the cage instead of coming to the front of the cage and, you know, trying to say, adopt me. Mm-hmm. But the little girl wants him, and she insists on it. So Kathleen says, okay, but she really doesn't think it's going to work out. And the little girl goes off with this very shy, withdrawn cat named Thomas. A couple of months later, Kathleen gets a letter with some photos sent to the shelter, and it's from the mom. And the pictures are of the little girl and the cat. And the cat has come out of his shell and is friendly and part of the family and the little girl's best friend and sleeps right by her head in the bed. And so everything worked out great. The cat brought out the little girl and the little girl started speaking. And the little girl brought out the cat. And so they really helped each other. And I thought that was a lovely story. Oh, it's a beautiful story. And again, these are the things that Somehow when we talk about extrasensory perception, whether it's cat or autistic children, somehow they're able to connect at a different level. And that's what I like about the story. And you have a few other stories like that in the book as well. And to me, it's amazing that if we think outside the box for a change, there are sometimes solutions out there that we're simply not aware of. That's true. What I like about this uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul book is that the stories are all so different, and you really get Mm -hmm. to see, like, they're not conventional cat stories. Like, I know the the last one that you chose to discuss is about this cat that (laughs) loves swimming, and that's so unusual. And I love that. I love presenting people with cats that are kind of on the edge and are different from any other cat they've ever heard of but this is another case of an abandoned kitten 
that was born in a barn and and then is adopted by a human and in this case this poor kitten was still with her mom her mom did not abandon her but the kitten had been attacked by a hawk and had like these talon holes in its head and the kitten suffered brain damage as a result and so the human Brenda adopted the kitten and saved its life, but the kitten couldn't walk and would walk crooked or drag itself crookedly. I mean, it really had terrible brain damage. And so one of the things that the kitten seemed to like was to swim, because one day when Brenda was giving the kitten a bath, he started moving his legs in the water, and then he started swimming in the bathtub with her every time she took a bath, and so it actually turned out to be like his water physical therapy, and the kitten regained the ability to walk. And from then on, he loved to swim at every opportunity. And so they went on a trip one time. Brenda lives in Canada, and they drove across to the west coast of Canada to see the Pacific, and she was walking the cat along the beach on a leash because this cat needed to be on a leash because of his disabilities. And he insisted on going in the water. And so they went in the water, and the cat was swimming. And she wasn't paying attention to the beach. And when she came out of the water, she saw a whole crowd had gathered there to watch this swimming cat. So that was a really funny one. And I'm glad you chose that because it is a great example of the fact that we have some (laughs) really unusual cats in these 101 stories in The Cat Really Did That. Actually, I only chose seven out of ten wonderful chapters. So I encourage everyone, if you're a cat lover and you don't have to be a cat lover, please go out there and get this book, and I'm telling you, you would love the stories. And not to mention, you're doing a great favor to American Humane Association as well. That's true, because there are royalties going to them. We work with American Humane in many ways, in addition to giving them royalties from our books. We're working with them on a program that educates Mm -hmm. children and adults about zoos and aquariums. And I didn't realize until I worked on these books with American Humane, and the Mm -hmm. books are called Humane Heroes, I didn't realize that zoos and aquariums are often really shelters. Like, I didn't realize that a lot of the animals you see in the Mm -hmm. aquariums were rescues. You know, um, they might be a dolphin that was found injured and you know on a beach and was going to die and then they take it and they bring it back to health at an aquarium and then the government comes in in either in the u.s or canada and they decide which ones can go back into the wild and which ones can't go back into the wild anymore and the ones that can't go back into the wild remain for life in the aquarium and so they're really like giant shelters these zoos and aquariums they're shelters for animals that can't survive in the wild. That was a real eye-opener for me. We also donate tons of dog food and cat food every year to American Humane for use at shelters and also for use in their rescue operations because American Humane goes Mm -hmm. and whenever there's a natural disaster in the country, a hurricane, flooding, tornadoes, wildfires, whatever, American Humane is there rescuing dogs and cats that have been 
rendered homeless either permanently or temporarily. Often American Humane can reunite them with their human families, but often the human yeah. families don't don't come back for them because they've been displaced and they're in apartments now or something, and, and they just leave the dogs and cats, and then they find new homes for them. That's the good way of doing it, because if you are not in the capacity of being able to give your all, then by all means, let somebody else take over that sense of responsibility. You're right. That is absolutely true. And you better have them in a responsible shelter where they'll find them a new home instead of just leaving them out on the street where they could be killed. Right, right. Since we're talking about this, about the two books, and we're about to go into the dog's books, I do want to ask you this. You print this books of themes about cats and dogs every, like you say, about 18 months or so, and they're fantastic, and they do such a wonderful job for entertaining people, and obviously, of course, for the American Humane Association as well. But say for just everyone out there who just wants to read the book, what would you like for the readers to gain from reading these wonderful, wonderful books? So I think that they'll come away from reading these books with an appreciation for what dogs and cats can do for you and the light, the mm-hmm. lessons you can learn from dogs and cats, the lessons about resilience. I mean, think about it. Think about how you would feel as a human if you were abandoned on the street, you know, sent out onto mm-hmm. the street. Then people pick you up. They take you to this place where you're stuck in a cage and then some new people come and take you home and you have to learn a new home, new rules, new people. That's what these dogs and cats go through. And yet they come out great. They're so resilient and they're so open to new experiences and to new people and their ability, they're, they're able to trust and not to hold on to old resentments. We should all be like that. You know, they are able to live in the present, put difficult pasts behind them I think it's a wonderful way to live, and we should all be a little more like these dogs and cats because we would be much happier if we were. Let's get into the books about dogs. Dogs are my favorite, I have to say that. There are so many wonderful, wonderful stories in the dog really did that. So let's start with Chapter 1, One of a Kind, Geometry Dog by Janine Krause. Yeah, this was really cute. And it's another example of how we have unique stories in these books. So (laughs) Jeannie Krauss was a math teacher for elementary school, and she had a little um, closed-circuit TV program that the kids would watch where she would teach them about math. So she was teaching them about geometry, and she had this little dachshund named Maggie. And she realized that the little dachshund had some of the shapes she was trying to teach the children. For example, if you think about a dachshund's um, nose, it's kind of like a cone shape, right? It starts out broader, mm-hmm. and then it narrows down to a point, right? And so she <laughs> she decided that she would take the little dog and put the little dog on TV and say to the kids, look, look at Maggie's nose. That's a cone shape. And then you know how a dachshund has that funny little cylindrical body with the little legs coming out of it. So she used Maggie's body to show them what a cylinder is. And then she realized she could use other things. For example, she used um, Maggie's favorite red ball to show the children what a sphere was. 
And then Maggie had chewy sticks, you know, in their little straight sticks, and she lined them up mm-hmm. next to each other, and she showed the kids what parallel lines were. And then she used the chewy sticks to teach them other things about perpendicular lines and angles. So she used the dog to teach them geometry, and the dog was so popular, and the kids learned geometry so well and loved it. I mean, little kids can be very fidgety, and in their school they found that the little kids were completely absorbed by math class every single day. And so that was a very cute story about how this little dog became quite a celebrity in this elementary school and actually in their whole town. (laughs) I love the story. I mean, these are simple things. Sometimes it's very practical. And the most important thing that came across was the fact that how do you engage the kids to pay attention because this is everyday life and when the next time you see a dog and you can start having open conversations about what to learn in math. <laughs> yeah, it was a little, I mean, I think using a dog is a great idea. I hope some other math teachers will pick up that idea from having read that story and we'll have geometry dogs all over North America. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, chapter two, Dog Gone Silly. I love this one. I Save a Dog by Julie I'm glad that you love this story because I I forget who I was talking to. I was on some interview a few uh-huh. weeks ago, and it was actually before the dog book came out, but somebody asked me about it and said, tell me one of the stories. And I said, well, the story's a little kooky, but it's really one of my favorites. And I told the story, and there was just <laughs> silence on the other end of the line. And I thought, oh, well, that just landed with a thud. But I love this story, so it's really funny because Julie considered herself to be like a superhero. Whenever she saw a dog in trouble, she would save the dog. So if she was driving down the road and she saw a dog running free and she was worried the dog was going to get hit by a car, she'd stop the car, she'd get out, she'd save the dog. And, you know, her kids were getting a little tired of Mm -hmm. mom being this superhero. But she was always saving dogs and then reuniting them with their grateful owners. And so right be- she she wrote in her story that the prior week mm-hmm. she had seen a beautiful German shepherd in their front yard and she knew that nobody in the neighborhood had a German shepherd and so she went out to get the dog. The dog was not even wearing a collar. Um so there was no tag that she could use to reunite the dog with its owner, but she she put a leash around the dog. She brought the lost dog into her backyard. She has four dogs, so she separated them because she didn't want to put the strange dog together with her dogs in case something bad happened. And then she made lots of flyers and posters, and she postered, you know, she put these up all over their town that she had found a female German shepherd. And a couple of days later, posters worked. She got a call from the dog's owner, and the dog's owner was frantic. He was so worried. He said he had just moved to a new neighborhood and this dog had wandered out his front door and he had just given her a bath. And so she didn't have her collar on and she was, he had just looked away for a minute and then she was outside and then he ran out the door and she was already gone. So he was so grateful. He hadn't slept for two nights and he said, I'm going to come and pick up the dog. And Julie felt so proud of herself for having rescued the dog. And so he said, where do you live? And she said, we live on Oak Street. And then he said, Oak Street? And she said, yes, where do you live? He goes, 
Oak Street. I'm your next door neighbor. She basically kidnapped her next door neighbor's dog. Yeah, I know. I thought it was funny too. I'm glad you liked that one. Apparently, not everybody yeah, I love does. It. I mean, yeah, it's really funny. I'm not saying that she's overzealous. Thank goodness she's overly caring, which is kind of fun. And then, of course, in hindsight, it's all this funny. I like to look at things from a funny perspective, and I just love the story. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really funny also. And I'm sure the man got over it eventually and saw the humor in it. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. The next one is really very interesting. I love the chapter when you talk about being dogs being so smart. This particular story is just beautiful. An Unexpected Angel by Maria Etlin. Yeah, so she was only 22 years old. She was living in in um, Hawaii, going to college. Um, she was living with her boyfriend, who was in law enforcement on Oahu. And he said he wanted to adopt a dog from the local shelter, and she was not thrilled because she felt that the responsibility was going to fall on her to take care of the dog because she was home, you know, because she was going to college. So she was home studying. Right. He was off working so it was going to be her problem but they adopted this very sweet dog named sammy who was very affectionate and calm um and they had a little kitten also and sammy was really nice to their kitten and so she was very embarrassed one day when sammy who was usually so nice basically tried to attack a guy who was working on their ground maintenance crew in their neighborhood and uh, she was home studying, and this man came to the door, one of the workers, and knocked on the door and asked for a glass of water. And Sammy went crazy and lunged at the guy and was barking at him and showing all her teeth and snarling. And so the guy just basically ran away. And Maria, the owner, felt terrible. And then a couple of weeks later, her boyfriend came home from work where he was, you know, a police officer, and he told her that he had had to respond to a call earlier that day where a woman had been savagely assaulted by a man who worked for the ground maintenance crew and had gone up to the front door of one of these homes and asked the woman inside for a glass of water, and it was only a few blocks from their home. It was the same guy. And so that could have been Maria's fate, except that her dog, Sammy, threatened the guy and just knew intuitively that he was bad. And she says that in the next 13 years that they had Sammy, she never again growled at anybody or showed any type of aggression. She did this once ever in her entire life, and it was for this guy who turned out to be a criminal. Isn't that amazing? I mean, dogs, in many ways cats as well, have this sort of extra sensory perception when danger is around the corner or this case I mean, know. bad news. It is like amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that yeah, the it's... dog somehow knew that. I don't know how the dog knew that mm-hmm. because it doesn't even make sense to me, but the dog somehow knew that there was something wrong and that this man was threatening it. I don't know how a dog could pick that up because you would think that humans mm-hmm. would be able to be more perceptive about a human presenting himself with something wrong, like he was standing there the wrong way right. or something in his voice, you would expect a dog to be able to sense that about another dog. But in this case, the dog sensed that something was off about the human, even though Maria did not sense it. The only thing I could get out of that, and I thought about that, like when you look around and you notice that how pets are a little bit more sensitive to things, 
and I'm being cliche here, but the pets basically kind of live in the present moment, and we get distracted. We're either thinking about something in the past or in the future, and so we're never really paying attention. We take it for granted, for lack of a better term, wherever we are. Or you're bending over doing. backwards to be. You want to be open-minded. Like I remember yeah. one time when I was when I had my wallet stolen right out of my purse. I was. Wow. coming out of a post office, and I don't think I had actually closed my purse all the way yet because I had just made mm-hmm. a transaction. And this man yeah. held the door open for me, and he looked really awful, and he he looked like a scuzzy kind of homeless guy. And mm-hmm. I was so concerned with um, being nice to him, like not yeah, yeah. insulting him. You know, I said, oh, thank you so much when right. he opened the door for me. And then he kind of crowded me. But again, I was so mm-hmm. focused on mm-hmm. not treating this homeless man with any disrespect he he took my wallet right. <laughs> i realized wow. that a moment isn't, later. isn't that amazing yeah. i mean it's like yeah we're trying to be conscientious and yet in the end we get the shoulder under the stick and then what's so bad about it when you talk about people in this particular case it sets out a bad president for somebody else who are really good that is true and so that is true yeah so it's so sad just because of one unnoble act by someone it kind of send the wrong message to everybody else. Yeah, so, that's life. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're discussing Chicken Soup's latest release, a couple of very interesting books for pet lovers. Chicken Soup for the Soul, you can't really did that, and Chicken Soup for the Soul, the dog really did that. I'm your host, Johnny Pan. Chapter 5, Amy, is another fantastic chapter. I love it. We are family. And the story is about Jasmine's Journey by Gail Irwin. Gail Irwin writes a lot of stories for us, and she's very active in the dog rescue community. And I found this story to be very educational because I didn't really know about the tremendous amount of work that human volunteers put into many of these uh, many of these rescue operations. So I guess you probably are aware of the fact that big dogs are harder to get adopted. Uh, people are more likely mm-hmm. to get a small dog at a shelter. And so there's a lot of extra work that goes into saving big dogs. And in this case, Gail was part of a group of people who transported big dogs uh, to new homes. And so the dog she was transporting was a Great Pyrenees, and those are tremendously large dogs. <laughs> a very, very sweet dog. And this dog had been abandoned in Wyoming, just left out in the wild. And then she had been rescued. And so this dog was being passed from one rescuer to another. And so she had already spent four hours traveling from her foster home in the southern part of Wyoming, and now Gail was driving her another two-plus hours north, and then she was going to hand the dog off to another person who was going to drive her another two hours north into Montana, and from there she was going to be picked up by another person who was going to drive her across the border into Canada, and that's where a family had signed up to adopt her. So you had four people sharing the duty of driving this dog a 1,000 miles to go from uh, the rescue organization to her new home in Canada. So imagine all of the different people, all of the resources that went into saving 
just this one dog. But it's totally worth it, and it's what makes us human because how we treat Mm -hmm. our animals is indicative of how our society is in general, right? If we can't treat our animals, then what kind of society do we have? So I love stories like this where you see a community of people gathering together, putting huge amounts of effort into rescuing one dog and showing how worthwhile it was to rescue just one dog. It's amazing. And these are the kind of stories that, like you talked about, really speaks to us personally as individuals, as humans. And what I like to do is actually one day just volunteer to do just one trip because I bet you it's kind of fun and entertaining. That's true. It's an experience because you are connecting at a different level, I would think, from that perspective. The next chapter, chapter six, this is what I can say is kind of funny. It talks about the connection. Who, me, is the title of the chapter. And the story is Old Shep Becomes a Mom by William Gibson. Yeah, so William Gibson talks about the fact that he had this elderly German shepherd actually that his wife had rescued from rush hour traffic. So she was one of those ladies who jumped out of the car, you know, and rescued a dog. (laughs) And they ended up keeping this German shepherd, and he was quite old. And then one day, um, William sees a little flash of yellow in the dog's mouth. And And the dog is trying to hide it and, like, you know, kind of cowering, and he didn't want his dad to know what he was up to. Well, it turned out that the dog had rescued a whole family of baby ducks and was kind of taking care of them, like was lying down and letting all the ducks curl up next to him. And so they had something like a dozen baby ducks, and the dog raised them until they all eventually, you know, waddled away from him into the wood, the pond that they had in the woods behind their house once they were grown up enough to go and become normal ducks. So I just thought that was really cute. I love these stories about dogs and cats adopting other animals as pets. Now you understand why it's very difficult to choose, right? <laughs> yes, I know, because I, I looked at your favorites and I'm like, oh, I love those, but I love a whole bunch of other ones too. Yeah, I love all of them. It's really my 101 favorite stories in each book. Yeah, it's so difficult. And the next one, I've jumped off to Chapter 9 because I thought this story must be told. It's just a wonderful story. Meant to be, the story title is Roji, the Syrian Refugee by Brett Robinson. So Brett was actually in the Army, and he was stationed in Syria. And there were so many dogs there, these poor dogs living in this war-torn area, And the dogs were constantly being hurt or killed. They were malnourished. They were sick. They were just not treated well at all. But these American soldiers, of course, loved the dogs. And Brett actually wanted to adopt one of the dogs. And a couple of puppies came and went quickly in his life. Um, Two dogs he had meant to adopt, um, one died and one just disappeared. And then another dog came along. And this dog he was able to save. And he went through this whole process with a veterinarian. He had to get vaccinations. He had to go through a month-long quarantine. And Brett worked with an organization that helps soldiers bring dogs home from the Middle East, dogs that have become their pets while they're over there. And so now Brett, the Syrian refugee, has a very nice life in the United States. 
It's a beautiful story. Sometimes when we talk about war-torn situation, we need a positive story like this for our four-legged friends. The final chapter in this book, it's again about animals being a therapist. The story is Animal Magnetism by Deborah House. Yeah, this is really interesting because uh, I've heard a lot about mechanical animals being used with elderly Mm -hmm. patients in nursing homes and patients, I guess, normally that have some amount of dementia or memory loss and confusion. And in this case, this 95-year-old woman uh, was moved into an assisted living and the they gave her this mechanical dog, and she kind of knew it was a mechanical dog. Like, she knew that when it stopped moving, it needed new batteries. But she still adopted it as her pet. And so she it wasn't like they were really fooling her. I mean, she knew it wasn't a real dog, but it provided her with all the companionship of a dog without, of course, the need to care for a dog except for changing the batteries once in a while, which her younger relatives took care of. And I thought it was really interesting that these very elderly people, you see all the time they have these mechanical cats and dogs. And um, right. it makes a lot of sense. And after after the woman died, um, her family actually brought the mechanical dog home. And, um, and then her grandchildren or great-grandchildren ended up playing with the mechanical dog after that. It's a beautiful story for the family because it's something that now you have some sort of continuity to it. Yeah, from grandparents that's true. Too. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. So what are some of your favorite stories in the cat book? Um, there's one in the cat book that I thought was was really, really cute. It was by Joyce Laird, and she talked about how her cat would often bring home, you know, trophies um Mm -hmm. you know we don't really like the fact that cats go out and kill other animals and bring them home i mean it's not good but one day her cat ringo brought home a tiny little black bunny um i don't know what a baby bunny is called but anyway maybe it's called a bunny and then when it grows up it's a rabbit but anyway it was a tiny little baby and instead of attacking this bunny Ringo, the great hunter cat, mm-hmm. adopted the bunny as its own pet. And so they ended up having a cat and a pet rabbit for many years. And that Ringo was all, always fiercely protective of his rabbit friend. Very interesting. Just wonderful story. <laughs> How about the dog book? What is your favorite story? Well, I mean, I have so many, but one that I thought was... Um, a very good example of a dog being a natural therapist or healthcare mm-hmm. aide is a story called What a Buddy by Gwen Cooper. And I actually told this story on my Chicken Soup for the mm-hmm. Soul podcast. Gwen, um, she she hurt her foot and she had to have um, surgery and then she was going to be on crutches for three months. And so her first morning home after the surgery she, you know, got out of bed, got her crutches, and started um, making her way to the bathroom. And her little dog, you know, walked along with her to the bathroom, but he seemed to have injured one of his rear legs. And she, 
couldn't use her right leg and he couldn't use his right rear leg. And they didn't know what was wrong with him. They felt along his leg. It felt normal. He didn't seem to be in any pain. After a few days, they took him to the vet. The vet gave him x-rays. There was nothing wrong with his leg that anybody could see, but he he didn't seem to be mm-hmm. able to walk on that leg. He, so he walked on three legs, and this went on for months. And then finally, the day that Gwen got off her crutches and into an orthopedic boot for her injured foot was the day that her little dog resumed walking on all four legs. So sweet. He was empathizing with her that whole time, and as long as she couldn't use one of her legs, he wasn't going to use one of his legs either. And that, again, is another beautiful story from the chapter So Smart, and see how dogs makes good companion. <laughs> yeah, it was very sweet of him. Do you have a personal story to share? Well, I grew up with dogs. I mean, so I grew up, you know, as a child, I was always nestled mm-hmm. up against a golden retriever, and so I understand the value of them. But I have to say what's really affected me the most is these shelter dogs that my daughter and her husband mm-hmm. adopted because those dogs opened my eyes and I'm too busy and I travel too much now as publisher of Chicken Soup for the Soul um, and so I can't have a dog at home I can only you know dog sit once in a while for my grand dogs but if I ever do get a dog and I'm sure the day will come I am definitely getting a dog from a shelter wonderful that's a very nice story so what's next for Chicken Soup Oh, boy, I have a really cool book coming out um, at the end of the month, and I know you and I are going to talk about it um, sometime this fall on one of our, on one of our regular mm-hmm. days, uh, but it's called uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Kind of America, with the emphasis on kind and America, and it's a book that we put together kind of last minute in response to what's going on in America. And it's a book that contains 101 stories about the true spirit of America, and that is a country where people are kind to each other and respect each other's differences and respect different religions, different lifestyles, and value the energy and dynamism that immigrants bring to our country. So that book is coming out in a week, and I'll actually be launching it in Chicago and going on um, one of the news shows in Chicago on Tuesday the 29th, which is the day the book comes out. And then we have a book about dreams coming out in September, which mm-hmm. shows you how you can use your dreams to improve your life. We have a great book coming out for Christmas all about miracles at Christmas time. And that's one of those books that just makes you shake your head and say, how in the world did that happen? So we have a great schedule ahead of us. Oh, and then the final book that's coming out for 2017 is called Step Outside Your Comfort Zone, and I'm actually editing that book right now. And it's filled with the most amazing stories about people trying things they're afraid of, trying things that make them uncomfortable, and dramatically improving their lives as a result of stepping outside their comfort zones. Awesome. That's fantastic. Would you like to share some recipes for living with our listeners this morning? Well, sure. I think that I think that looking at these cat and dog books has given me some 
great ideas, you know, for recipes for living. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of them is just to not, it's, it's just to be open-minded because so many people reported that they didn't want these cats or dogs and then they reluctantly brought them in and then they gradually opened their hearts and their homes to these animals and then they were blissful with these animals for the next 15 years that they had them. And that's a great lesson to throw away your preconceived notions and be open to change mm-hmm. and open to new relationships. It's a very important thing. And it's amazing how that open-mindedness can add value to your life and add joy to your life. So true. Amy, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks on Tuesday morning, September 12th. My guest will be Mary Kapomengo. She is the best-selling author of Live More, Want Less, who helps individuals and groups embrace simplicity in everyday life. Mary and I will be discussing her latest book, Best Friend for Hire. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. And thank you so much for co-hosting this show for me this morning. (laughs) Thank you. I know. I didn't know where you were. I just kept talking. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. You did an awesome job. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Johnny. Thank you. Bye. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.